Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul, and I'm joined today by someone who I haven't talked to in quite a while. We haven't heard in quite a while, but we're so glad she's back. Go ahead and reintroduce yourself. Hello, my name is Lisa, and I believe the last time I was on an episode was back in December. Yeah, it's been quite a while. I, To be fair, I have been slacking on uh, recording episodes and putting episodes up. Um, but this one is going to go up not too long after we're recording it. Going to start getting back into the groove of things, I think. I have some some future plans about stuff. Um, mm. But yeah, I think, what is it? The last time you were on was you and Jake and Andy and Andrew, which was the, we had so many technical difficulties in that one. Yes. Yeah. That was like a three hour long conversation. Yeah. That one. Ooh. That actually, um, now that I think about it, because of that, uh, I actually got some good pollen all material out of that one too. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Cause I, uh, what I did for anybody who doesn't know, um, in that episode really quick, uh, we had some technical difficulties. My microphone kept cutting out, but everything kept recording. Uh, and part of what you heard of me talking was recorded later and I just inserted myself saying the specific things. And while the actual, uh, Skype call was going on, Jake took over hosting duties. And so Jake and I sat down and recorded a brief little intro and outro thing. And we put that together as an episode of Paul and all entitled, uh, something along the lines of my best friend trying to steal my job or something like that, because he took over briefly as the host. (laughs) I do remember that. That was funny. (laughs) So, but we're back uh, talking about what you and I have talked. I don't remember if it's been mentioned on the show, but we talked about how uh, Saeed is one of your favorite characters just because he's so, he's kind of low key, but he's definitely a leader. Is that right? Yeah, I always tend to gravitate towards characters who are very intelligent and are kind of running the show from the background. And I always felt like Saeed was one of those characters where he's very underrated. A lot of people don't say that he's their favorite character. But in all reality, a lot of the situations and crappy situations that they get themselves in, Saeed usually has the answers to get them out of. And there's actually actually a moment in this uh, episode that I like when he... I mean, there's a few moments in this episode that I like, but there's one and it's kind of a it's more of an anti Jack moment than a pro Saeed moment. But it's towards the end when uh, Jack says to him, like, you know, oh, I think you have this handled because it kind of gives credence to what you just said, where it's like Saeed's right. Like he tends to actually have been correct about a lot of things like let him do his thing. Mm hmm. Yeah, I real I enjoyed that, you know, Saeed kinda got to run the show this time around. And like you said, Jack didn't really uh uh attest to it. You know, he was kinda like, you know, do your thing. Right. Uh the episode we will be talking about is The Economist, and we both kinda mentioned how you know, although this is the character that you like, and I, I'm not—I don't have anything against Saeed. Like, I, like you said, you know, not not a lot of people would put him as their favorite. I wouldn't necessarily rank him up there as one of my favorites, but I don't have anything against him. However, we were talking about the fact that this episode is not really that great. <laughs> yeah, it's—I felt it was very predictable. Um, even like the quote-unquote twist at the end was very predictable. Um, And yeah, nothing really happens in the episode. It's kind of just, you know, this traveling back and forth and then 
you know, the, the deals are made and I don't want to get into it too much before, you know, you specify, but it was a very predictable kind of boring episode. Yeah. It, it, I don't want to say it seemed like filler because that's wrong, especially for a season that was so short like this, where they kind of had to make sure that everything that they wanted to get across got across. But yeah, it was very much, I don't know. I mean, the twist at the end, I think was good. They hinted at it earlier. So it does kind of give you that like, oh, wait, but what he said earlier and it does. uh, I was looking forward into like a few episodes uh, from now. There is one or two things that do pay off, and I'll talk about them as as we get to it. But, I mean, it does help with, like like you said, the deals and the trades and all that. It does sort of help set up a few things, but it definitely seems more like that's all it was. Was this episode just served so that there could be a lot of stuff happening in a few episodes from now versus a lot of stuff happening in this episode as well? Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. So, The Economist, we start out with Saeed kneeling, praying. Uh, I'm not sure whether he's actually praying for Naomi, whose dead body is nearby, or just one of the the daily prayers. Um, Jack, Juliet, and Miles are all talking about Ben, with Jack wanting to know of Ben's connections off-island, but Juliet says she isn't aware of any. And Juliet, by this point is firmly in the survivor's camp. But that's a lot. I think that's a lie, what she just said. The fact that that she's not aware of any off-island. Because she knows because Albert and Middle-Ost Bioscience and all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Juliet, I love Juliet, too. She's also one of my favorite characters, which I know many people in your circle will disagree with me. Um, But I think she's always withholding a little bit of information to kind of play with you know, when she feels is the right time. And I think she was purposely withholding information at that point. Okay. Two things. One, our circle. Don't act like you're an outsider. You're in the group. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I always do that. <laughs> and two, um, I would, I might agree. Yeah, I think she was withholding information, but I just, I, I guess I didn't see her, her motivation for doing it. I, I mean, especially in this moment, you know, like, I would think this would be the time where she would want to endear herself, not that she needs to with Jack, but just with the the camp overall, I suppose, the anti, because like, at this point, what reason does she have at all to have any sort of loyalty to Ben, you know? Yeah, that's true. But like I said, I think she's always thinking five, six, seven steps ahead of everyone. And whatever, you know, she she seemed very quiet this episode. So I feel like there were a lot of things that she was kind of like, maybe I shouldn't interject at this moment with this information. Okay. Miles admits he doesn't know why his employers want Ben, but he's being paid enough money to not ask any questions. Meanwhile, Saeed gets up and goes to Naomi's body. Jack finally admits that Ben is with Locke and Charlotte. While Jack and Miles continue to argue over having a gun, trusting each other, or lack thereof, Saeed is investigating Naomi's bracelet, which appears to be from a lover. Miles simply wants to go, but Saeed finally joins the conversation, telling him that he isn't going anywhere. He asks if the helicopter will fly, which it will, and requests to go to the ship. Uh, He doesn't let Jack talk him 
out of it uh, or get any words in, really, which I mean, personally, I like because I'm not a big Jack fan. Uh, Frank says he can't take much weight in the helicopter. Miles says how Charlotte was taken prisoner and the survivors shouldn't be trusted. But Saeed confirms that he can bring Charlotte back and requests getting to the ship upon completing this task. And to this, Frank agrees. In a flash forward, a man is on a golf course. It's Saeed and his hair seems slightly longer. I don't know why. I was I was checking just to make sure that I didn't miss anything. I was checking the uh, Lostpedia transcript, and it makes sure to mention his hair is longer. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like all strained and shit throughout the episode. It's very, very weird to adjust to. <laughs> well, okay, speaking of adjusting really quick, Naveen Andrews, have you ever heard his real accent? You want to talk, you know, strange to adjust to? Oh, I actually haven't. Oh, you never heard? Oh, he's British in real life. I feel like I knew that, but at the same time, I, I'm not remembering. Is he really? Yeah, he was actually, um, if you ever saw the Once Upon a Time spinoff, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, he played Jafar, and I believe he used his real accent on there. Oh, God. You know what? I didn't even bother with that, because at that point, regular Once Upon a Time was tanking, so I didn't think the spinoff would be any good. It was not very good, I'll tell you. <laughs> As someone who I watched up until... Oh, because I, I just talked with Jake about this. It, I watched the, till the end of season five, and he said uh, season between seasons four, because he only just got into it within the last few months, and he said uh, that uh, he understands why a lot of people left by then. Even um, his girlfriend, who he was watching with, left around, I think, the beginning of season six, but he was like, I've made it this far. I might as well just finish the damn thing out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I finished. My my last straw was, and you know I love Elizabeth Mitchell, but the whole Ice Queen storyline, I think that was season four, I gave up. Like Me and Tierney were like, okay, this is getting like really ridiculous now. Yeah, agreed. The whole, <laughs> I, I didn't, and this is just a, a, a personal thing I have. I won't get too into it, but it's just a personal thing I have with like sort of modern day Disney. I didn't like the fact that they started incorporating the modern quote unquote fairy tales, Frozen, yeah. Brave, all that sort of stuff in. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the golf course with Saeed, another golf cart approaches as a man in or with an Italian accent speaks to him, offering him a ride, which Saeed declines. They have a bit of small talk about the privacy of the course, what clubs to use, and they even wager on the use of the clubs. Saeed eventually tells the man how he has a large amount of money from the settlement with the Oceanic crash. This makes the man very nervous. In their wager, Saeed lost. The man tries to run away upon realizing who Saeed is, but Saeed insists on paying him before calling him by name and shooting him. Saeed then grabs his clubs and walks away. This was such a badass moment, I thought. Like, when I first saw this, I was just like, okay, wait. So this is obviously post-crash. He talks about the the settlement, whatever. But I'm just like, so in the future where everyone would seemingly know Saeed, because we know Hurley is known. We know there's the Oceanic Six. This also adds to the fact that he is one of the Oceanic Six. So by this point, Kate, Jack, Hurley, and now Saeed are confirmed. Mm -hmm. Uh but I'm just like, okay, so wait, so in a world where 
everybody knows who these people are. They've they talked at the end of season three how, you know, Jack is a hero and a celebrity and Hurley the same thing when he got arrested at the beginning of season four. And he's going around killing people? Like, how is how is that possible? <laughs> so I don't mean to bring, you know, the whole idea of race and everything into the episode, but I would honestly say, you know, and I think this is the reason for why Saeed isn't a popular character either, is that because of his race, you know, he people probably didn't pay much attention to him out of everyone in the Oceanic Six because of who he was. I mean, that's just my opinion, but... That's that's very possible, but I would think with uh, him being, for lack of a better phrase, and I don't mean this the way it's going to sound, but for him being the odd person out, meaning uh, by this point we know of Kate, like I said, Kate, Jack, Hurley, and now Saeed, three of them live in the States. Um, Hur- or I'm sorry, Saeed we know is from Iraq, and so, you know, there's... It's never quite stated where he lives because even before the crash, he kind of traveled around a bit. Mm-hmm. So I would think he might be the one. It might be more difficult because if he's traveling all the time and he has a really big amount of money, he could avoid uh, paparazzi or photographers or whatever. But I would think he would be the one that you may want to try to keep an eye on even more because, like, you know, you could see Jack or Kate or Hurley anywhere in because they all happen to end up in Los Angeles, basically. You know, you could see any of them walking down the street in Los Angeles, sort of like Hollywood celebrities. I would think Saeed, because he's more seclusive, secluded, whatever, he would be the one that you would want to follow more. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, he he clearly shied away from all of that in the beginning, and I think, you know, most likely that Jack became the poster boy of uh, the Oceanic Six, and... People probably started following him after that. I mean, I know Hurley, too, you know, gets a lot of fame from that. And at this point, you know, Kate's the only woman. So there's a bu- I think there's a bunch of different reasons why uh, he kind of fell off the uh, radar with that. Fair enough. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying, like, if it were me, if I was like the head of like a news organization or something, uh, I, you know what I mean? I would say like, well, one, I would say follow all of them. But I would say like, you know he's the guy to follow because we can just walk down the street and potentially find them. Like, I want to know what this guy's because no one else was following this guy. You know what I mean? To get the, get the exclusive, if you will. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Yeah. Sometime later, Saeed is on a busy street before entering a building. It appears to be a coffee shop or restaurant of some kind. He has a map and asks a woman if the seat near her is free and he asks this in german now i you've actually been over to europe correct yes um i have not i've only seen like british television and and a few other things from over in europe in america that does not seem like a common thing maybe i mean you're you're from uh you're from new york city so it's you know it may be even more common there maybe it's just a, a city thing or whatever but it does not seem common to me where you would just go somewhere and just ask to basically sit at like I would not go into even a pizza place and if if I see someone else sitting alone and all the tables are full like I would turn around and leave I wouldn't just ask like oh can I join you and order something separately sitting at your table like that just seems weird to me is that just is that a big city thing is that a european thing any idea 
It's actually funny you said that because I had the same thought. I was like, where in the world does this actually happen? Because I myself am a very shy person even though I'm from the city. And I can never imagine someone just going up to somebody else and saying, hey, like, let me sit with you and then having a conversation. I would probably be like, why – like this person's creepy. Get away from me. Why do you want to sit with me? <laughs> um, so I think it's really based on a person's personality. But I had the same exact thought. I was like, you know, how often does this happen? There was a, a an English show, Spaced. You would probably know that show um, yeah, with uh, Simon Pegg and all those guys. Um, oh. In the first episode, I think it's the first episode, He either he's sitting there or the woman is sitting there in just like a coffee shop or something. One of them is, re- whoever it is, is reading the paper and the other one, whether it be uh, him or, or the woman whose name escapes me right now, um, they go up and they say, you know, they're just looking around and they're like, oh, do you mind if I sit? Because it's a pretty big table that, that they're sitting at. And then it's just like, you know, like, the you know, one looks at the, oh, are you done reading that section of the paper? And then they just eventually decide to become uh, roommates with each other and whatever. But it's just, it was, I remember watching it for the first time and I'm going, like you said, like, where does this happen? Like, I'm, I'm guessing it might just be a European thing. Are European listeners or, or non-American listeners, let me know if this is like a thing because it, it <laughs> clearly weirds us out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was very odd. Uh, she nods, begin, or as he begins looking at the map, she speaks to him in German but he admits that he does not know the language. She goes on to tell him that the location that he's looking for is only about a block away before introducing herself as Elsa. They exchange small talk where he tells her that he is a headhunter and she says her boss is an economist. She doesn't understand it, but she needs to be at his side whenever he calls, but that's not very often. She thinks that she recognizes him and he says that he'll tell her over dinner. She marks on his map where to meet her. And I thought that was very like, I thought, honestly, I thought that was kind of sexy. Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, to have that, to have that confidence, I guess, my, again, my thought was like, how often does this freaking happen? You know, like you just walk into a place and 10 minutes later, or five minutes later, not even you have a date with some hot chick. I mean, good on him. <laughs> well, he's a hot guy. So like, I guess if for someone like him, it kind of makes sense. True, yeah, but he was very, you know, suave or whatever when he uh, when he started talking to her. And but again, my my first thought is always how you know how often does this happen? <laughs> Moments later, he's on the phone with another man who I'm not gonna lie, and you know, people can call me out on this. When I first watched it, I did think that that person's voice sounded familiar. In retrospect, of course it does, but I remember listening, going, "That sounds like," you know. Yeah, he has a very distinct voice. I don't think you could ever uh, misinterpret it. I mean, it's very, very distinct. Yes. Uh, This mystery man on the phone, uh, Saeed is talking to him and he says that he made contact before throwing the phone in the garbage. Back on the island, Saeed is showing some paperwork to Jack, Julia, and Kate. It's stuff that Naomi had with her. Saeed mentions how she was looking for Desmond, and he may be able to tell them a bit of what's actually going on. Jack then ignores Kate and tasks Juliet with going to the beach. <laughs> Thought that was an interesting... T- I mean, she caught, she calls him out on it later, but it begins to show sort of Kate's arc 
in for the rest of this season, I think. Yeah, and it also shows that Jack truly trusts Juliet. And, of course, from my perspective, I love that because I love seeing her slowly integrate into uh, the survivors group. That sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Saeed begins to go off with Jack chasing after him, asking how they're going to do this. But Saeed tells Jack that this mission isn't for him because he's going to make because he, Saeed, is going to make Locke give up Charlotte without any bloodshed. And I wrote that this is ironic how their point of views have changed, especially thinking back to uh, season one, especially, where Jack was always no bloodshed, no pain, like, let's just talk things out. And Saeed was like, you know, the torturer. And he was, you know, he wouldn't hesitate to, you know, do something to get things done his way. But as Saeed reminds Jack, he was the one who was willing to kill Locke last time. And that is not going to be helpful here. And it's it's very interesting, I think, how their positions have switched. Granted, you know, it's been three, um, you know, beginning of four seasons. But for these characters, as Jack comments a little later, it's only been 100 days. And I know I bring up the, the, the way time works on the island, but it's only been 100 days and how much their positions on this sort of thing has changed. Yeah, and I think, you know, this gives Saeed a lot of credit because, you know, I think he calls himself a diplomat, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in this scene. You know, he says he wants to be diplomatic. And he's very intelligent. He can get what he wants without using, you know, those methods of phys- physicality. And I think he just starts to utilize those other methods. I think he was always capable of doing so. I would agree with that. I think I think that was always the case. I think it was more, especially not just here, but just in his life leading up to all of this. It was just a matter of the circumstances he found himself in. You know, the fact that it was the army, you know, working for whatever side of the army he was, whether it be the Republican Guard or when he, you know, briefly worked for the Americans torturing his own um, his own superior officer. Uh it's, you know, soldiers are tougher, I think. Mm-hmm. So it would just make sense that talking things out, especially as I mean, I have family in the military. So, I mean, I'm not an expert. I'm not saying that at all. But like military people, because of the fact that they kind of tear them down and build them back up to be what they want them to be. They're not necessarily like, let's talk it out sort of people. So he had to use brute force. But I think you're right that those diplomatic tendencies were always there. He just maybe never got the chance to use them. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, as Saeed continues, Miles yells to him, announcing that he wants to go along, and Saeed does not hesitate to accept. This surprises Miles, and having been uh, ignored when asking for his gun back, he's told by Saeed that they'll be leaving in 10 minutes. And I, I, I mean... Liam is a huge fan of Miles. I don't necessarily have a problem with Miles. I just love how they just completely ignore him like all the time in these early ones because he's very much it's it's like you said with Juliet, how she's kind of integrating into the group by this point. Miles was not even remotely near there yet. No one like Dan and Frank. They were kind of like people were like, you know, okay, you know, they're at least nice to us. So we'll be, you know, cordial with them. Miles was just like, I just want to get paid. I don't care. So nobody's going to pay him any mind. And I just, I love that. (laughs) 
he's kind of like a yappy chihuahua. He's just constantly like, we have to do this, we have to do that. And it's like, okay, like, we're going to want to relax here. And especially with Saeed, he's such a low energy character. You know, he's not very talkative and he's not very loud. And I feel like someone like Miles would be very annoying to someone like him because Miles seems very high energy, very like, we have to go, let's do this, barking orders types of thing. And I love how when he asks for the gun, Saeed doesn't even remotely acknowledge it. He just keeps the same face and says, let's get going. A yappy <laughs> chihuahua. I love that. <laughs> That's what he seems like in the beginning. Because I, I agree, I like Miles as a character. But in the beginning, you're like, oh, my God, like, let's relax over here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, Locke is walking through the jungle as the group follows him. Sawyer and Ben in particular are there. Sawyer wants to know the name of the spy on the boat, but Locke tells Sawyer that it's a waste of time for him to ask because that information is the only thing keeping Ben alive, and he's going to play it close to the vest. Sawyer mentions how they should take his toes off one by one until he tells them, but Locke only comments how then they would have to carry Ben. And I I believe, if I remember correctly, Ben kind of scoffs right before Locke says that because I think he had a very similar thought. Yeah, I love the dynamic between Ben and Locke, as I'm sure many people do. I think they're very much on the same page a lot of the time. I would agree, yes. Locke stops and notices Ash on the ground and is very confused that nothing else is there. Claire mentions needing to feed Aaron soon, and Locke mentions that the cabin should be there. Sawyer asks why it's so important, and Ben, undermining Locke, tells everyone how Locke is looking for someone to tell him what to do next. Locke, now... I'm sorry, not able to show weakness in front of everyone, decides it isn't worth the trouble and leads them on to the barracks. And... Like you just said, that dynamic between the two of them, it's great. And the fact that, you know, they're on the same page, like you said, but they're also so opposites a lot of the time because, and I talked it over with someone, I can't remember who, but it was a matter of like, Ben knows by this point from, you know, whether it's things that Richard has sort of hinted at or it's been talked about or whatever, I think Ben knows that Locke is supposed to be the next leader of the others or leader of the island overall. And Ben is fearful of that because he doesn't, even when he was younger, he was always calling out Widmore when Widmore was the leader of the others and not know, you know, like he didn't want to follow orders. He wants to be in charge. He wants to be the manipulator, the, you know, pulling the strings. And I, you know, no, I think, if he knows, which I believe he does by this point, that Locke is to take over, what? where does he fall in everything? And I think that scares him more than anything else. Yeah, I would have to agree with that because I think he also realizes Locke's intelligence because, like you said, they're on the same page with a lot of things, and I think that is scary for him. But going back to that dynamic, I just love it. I, I personally think they're the two best actors on the show, and I love how they play off of one another. I would 100% agree with that. I remember not long after the show, or like, you know, not long after the show ended, right around when the show was ending, you know, they were all doing press and everything leading up to the finale and right after the finale. And Terry O'Quinn specifically said, you know, they were like, oh, you know, is there anyone you'd want to work with? And he's, you know, he said like the, the diplomatic thing, you know, oh, I would love to work with 
everyone again. And he, I don't remember the quote exactly, but he said something along the lines a few times. I remember he said, but specifically Michael Emerson, he goes, I will work with him again. He's like, we've already talked about things. He's like, there's no doubt in my mind. He's like, I've spent some of the the most time on this show with him. And, you know, he's like, we just get along so well and whatever. And I remember at one point before Person of Interest became a show, J.J. Abrams was working on a series that was ordered by NBC that was going to feature Michael Emerson and Terry O'Quinn being like spies that needed to come out of retirement because I think they, I think they worked as um, like, maybe it wasn't spies. Maybe they were just like a cleanup crew, like after, you know, like for missions after spies or something like that. But then for whatever reason, maybe just their schedules couldn't sync up or something. uh, Michael Emerson got person of interest and then that just never came to be. But I remember because uh, I like to follow along with what shows are, you know, what pilots are going forward and, and trying to make my own predictions of what I think is going to last and what I'm looking forward to potentially watching the next season. And I just remember going, I'm in. As soon as I saw Michael Emerson, Terry O'Quinn and J.J. Abrams, I'm like, I don't care. They could just sit around a fireplace and just like the two of them could just tell stories back and forth. I am in. <laughs> that sounded really awesome. I wish that would have came to uh, fruition there. Agreed. Danielle then reminds everyone how Charlotte's team will know where to find them because Jack knows where to find them. Sawyer chimes in how they're ready for a fight because Charlotte has a bulletproof vest. Hurley asks why they can't just let her go. All they want to do is hide. Locke says that she'll be valuable and Charlotte confirms to Hurley that this means be a hostage. And Hurley thinks letting her free is a sign of good faith, but Locke believes that it's a sign of foolishness. I would agree with that. Uh, Locke then says that they're beyond compromise, and he is making the decisions. I don't really have a comment for that scene. I just really don't like Hurley. <laughs> oh, you're not a Hur- have we talked about that? You're not a Hurley fan? I think so. His acting, every time he opens his mouth and his acting, it just throws me off from the entire scene. I just can't take it seriously. Oh, that's, is that, is that Jorge Garcia as an actor or just the Hurley character? I haven't seen him in anything else, so I can't really comment on that, but there's just something about his delivery and, and just, I don't know. It always takes me out of the scene, no matter what it is. I'm like, oh, here's Hurley again. I don't know. That's I I don't I mean I've, I may have heard that before but that's interesting we'll have to talk about that at another point. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Back with Jack's group, Kate reminds Jack how it doesn't it isn't such a great feeling being told to stay behind, and this is how she feels. And then this is not the last time Jack will say this, but I love this. Jack asks if he, you know, like her, if he should just wait 20 minutes and go anyway. And I love that because that's such a like that's such he's calling Kate out. And I love Kate. She's one of my favorite characters. I know a lot of people don't like her. I know people don't like Kate, but they like Evangeline Lilly. I know uh, our friend Wayne is just like, you know, with the Kate fails and all that. I don't mind the Kate character, but I do like the fact that the writers even continually call out the fact that like they I don't want to say screwed up. But, like, that fans realized, like, this is a recurring thing with her. Now, is this the first time in the series that they acknowledge this? I want – I think it is. I want to – I know what happens in the 
the series finale, but I want to say this might be the first time it is acknowledged. Because I remember, I don't remember specifically, obviously, when it was acknowledged, but I remember when I was watching this with Tyranny for the first time and that scene happened, I was dying laughing because I was like, I can't believe that they basically broke the fourth wall and... You know, we're saying this because that's all we—that's all I was saying in the beginning. That like, you know, she never listens. She always ends up following anyway. And I love that they made fun of it on their own. You know, right? Now you're the—if I'm not mistaken—you're the not a Kate fan, but you are an Evangeline Lilly fan, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is it because of that? And again, we've probably talked about this. I just don't remember, and I apologize. But is it just because like she she's constantly just like going off and doing things on her own yeah i mean she kind of just screws everything up Uh, (laughs) but i like you know i like kate like i love her flashbacks i like her flash forwards um my thing with her and i think with the show in general is the whole love triangle thing i thought was so ridiculous because you could see it coming from a mile away I personally don't like love triangles in shows. That's just me. I think it just adds unnecessary extra drama. And that even comes up a bit later in the episode. We see a comment made by Sawyer uh, referring to that. Um, But I think, you know, and that wasn't her fault, of course. That was on the writer's part. But I just really didn't enjoy the the love triangle. I can – it definitely makes it – it gives it, like, the melodramatic thing. But, I mean, I like teen – melodrama so like love triangles are like a staple of that so on that i i i don't see eye to eye with you um i also think that it's it's a thing of real life i think they kind of screwed her character over with that because uh did they i feel like when watching it back i sometimes feel like what was her development like there's a part of me that feels like like yeah she's she's strong and she's independent but what was her development? There are certain times where I watch it and I think she's only there to serve the Jack storyline or the Sawyer storyline. Like even um, Juliet has the thing of like she, you know, she wants to to help her sister and then she becomes stronger and independent and, you know, then she finds love and there seems to be an arc there. And sometimes I look at Kate's storyline, certain aspects of it, and I wonder like, what actually is her development? Yeah, I mean, I would say that possibly, you know, taking care of Aaron, I think, was a, was part of her development um, because she got to care for somebody else. Whereas, obviously, in the flashbacks we see in her life beforehand, it was kind of more selfish. So she did get to be selfless in that way of taking care of, of Aaron and really truly loving him um, as if she were his mom. I would agree. Yeah. But even still, and I mean, um, you know, not to focus too much on it, but like to me, that's it's a big aspect, but it's one aspect, especially because and like you said, loving him, because like I would say arguably like, yeah, you know, we find out in the end, like, you know, her and Jack have the connection and that's the whole, you know, the the awakening or whatever you want to call it thing. Um, but Aaron helps her with that, too. So I would argue that you know, Aaron is maybe not her true love, like not in a romantic sense, but, you know, just like a mother says, you know, like the love of my life in regards to their child. I would say that, that that's part of it with, with her and Aaron. 
Yeah, and I think, again, not to go too much into this, but I, I just came to my mind as well that, you know, when she wakes up in, in the last episode, it's with the birth of Aaron. It's not with Jack. And I find that very interesting. And I think that really says something about who she is as a person because at the end it wasn't about romantically who she loves but the child who she loves. And I thought that was really interesting now that you just brought it up. Right. Jack then tells... Kate how she should go on this mission with Saeed and Miles not because he doesn't trust Saeed but because he doesn't trust Locke he also knows that Sawyer won't let Locke harm her like he did to Naomi she goes to Miles and Saeed and volunteers there's a bit of talk of guns Miles lack of a gun and uh, (laughs) then Saeed says to Kate that the gun is a last resort and they decide to head off as they do Jack and Frank talk with Frank asking who Saeed is. Jack says that Saeed was a torturer in Iraq. And I just love that part because Frank's just like, oh, you know, what was he like? You know, was he a diplomat? Like, does he, you know, whatever. And he's just like, no, he was a torturer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A bit later in the jungle, Saeed, Miles and Kate are walking. Saeed looks at Naomi's bracelet Uh, again asking if she and Miles were close but Miles says he doesn't know her or he didn't know her very well and despite what Saeed thinks he is affected by her death because quote she was hot and I dug her accent unquote and I know Lisa you and I personally can agree with the you know someone having an accent thing it's just it's there's there's a thing about it and I said not just us but I know that that you and I do relate on that level Oh yeah, she was she was very beautiful, but I, but I love Kate's comment because she's just like nice, and that's usually what my comment is when I hear something sexist like that. You know, <laughs> I'm just like oh yeah, nice. Oh okay, that would be why you said it so often around me. Got it. <laughs> Saeed also mentions how he doesn't seem to care much about how um, Miles doesn't seem to care much about Charlotte either, but Miles says that Saeed shouldn't talk about caring when Saeed is going after one of his own friends with a gun. He then says that he does care about Locke and is interested in how he managed to split up their group. Saeed tells him how half the camp believed that the freighter was there for rescue, the other half thought they were there for harm. And Saeed confirms that he hasn't exactly made up his mind yet. And I like that because, you know, it's because Saeed wasn't there when the decision was made, are you going to go with Locke or are you going to go with Jack? Like he only showed up later. So it makes sense that he would be the one to say like, yeah, I, I haven't made up my mind yet on which, which side I'm going to go with. I also think he's not impulsive. I think he likes to weigh all his options and weigh, you know, all the details of both sides. He's not someone who says, Oh, I'm just going to go with this because more people did or because I, I, trust this person more. He likes to weigh all his options. And I think that's what makes him such a strong character again. I would agree. In a flash forward, Elsa opens her door to see Saeed dressed in a tux. They compliment each other for looking fancy. And it's mentioned that they're going to the opera. He helps her put her necklace on and he begins kissing her neck. She goes to put the boss's pager in her purse, but decides against it. Saeed, however, offers to carry it, and he also jokes how the boss needs new technology. She then asks if Saeed has a boss, and he eerily says that everyone has a boss. 
His delivery on that line is like, and I mean, I understand because, you know, the, the twist at the end of the episode, but it always like gives it, I always just like shiver at his, he's like, everyone has a boss. And I think that also says a lot about his standing, you know, when they're on the island that he, you know, he takes care of his own, but he was never the leader. He was never the boss. He was always working for for somebody on the island. You know what I mean? He was never the leader. Um. See, I might go the opposite way and say more like, um, and again, I know this is something that you and I will agree with uh, personally, Uh more like what a politician should be where like, yes, he was a leader, but I think if you want to go with that, with the, you know, Island thing more, he wasn't working selfishly. His boss was the people he was lead or his bosses were the people that he was leading, you know, like that's who he, that's who he had to answer. Like, like Locke said earlier, like I'm making the decisions and in my opinion, sometimes a, a good leader does that. And that's one thing that I will give to Locke and Jack and Sawyer and all of them is that sometimes I think a boss needs or a leader or whatever you want to say does need to just step up and say, this is what we're doing. But sometimes when you're in a position like that, I don't think you can just be a straight up dictator. And if you want to go with like you said, like, you know, on the island, he didn't really report to anyone. I might actually argue that when he was in charge of even little bits, you know, little groups, he was in charge, but he was still reporting to everyone else because that's, I think, what a good leader does. Yeah, he was more democratic, you're saying. Yes. I I understand. Yeah. He tries leading her out, and she begins to question why he's still there. He was only supposed to be in Germany briefly. He mentions how the job he was on is proving harder to accomplish. She says, half-jokingly, that she thought that it was about her. He smiles to reassure her, and they leave. And, of course, in retrospect, I think that's really funny, because she is the job that he's on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Back on the island at the helicopter, Dan is taking equipment out. He looks very frantic, and he sets up some of the science equipment. As he's doing this, Jack and Frank talk about Daniel. Frank says that he never understands anything that Daniel says. Daniel then comes and asks for the satellite phone to call the boat to run an experiment while they're waiting. Frank gives him the phone, telling him that if Minkowski answers, to hang up. Daniel uh, makes the call and upon fiddling with the equipment, asks Regina, the other the woman on the other end, uh, if she can lock onto his signal and fire the payload, which she does. Frank claims, uh, I'm sorry, Frank calms Jack, saying that Daniel does this sort of stuff all the time, but Jack still seems worried. Regina is calling out the distance until the payload should meet Dan, but it's nowhere in sight. She finally says that it landed, but there's still nothing there. Regina comments how that's weird, and Daniel thinks it's, quote, far more than weird, unquote. Yeah, I love how mysterious Daniel is in this. This is really the first time we're actually getting to, like, meet him and and uh, see him kind of do his thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he, you know, it, it's just funny in the beginning, you know, we're really so confused about him. And then once the constant rolls around, you know, we have a better understanding of why he is the way he is. But I kind of like this, um, I'm not sure what the word is, like wiry almost? Yeah, I'd go with that. 
Yeah, I, I kind of like this, you know, depiction of him, and then we get to learn more later in the other episodes. But Daniel was always a very likable character, in my opinion. I definitely. Well, I mean, I'm a I'm a sci-fi fan, and you know, he talk. He's kind of their sci-fi guru. You know, like in season five, he talks with them a lot about time travel, and that's one of the things that I like. And the fact, I mean, it you get the payoff later in this episode when the when the thing from the boat. Uh, finally makes it there. But one of the reasons that I love this scene is because this definitely furthers the whole sci-fi thing. Um, in Towards the middle end of season three, we had um, you know the potential alternate timeline and time travel and all that sort of stuff with Desmond. Um, and I remember Liam and I talked about that for about two or three hours. We did a whole episode and... Um, it was just like, it was great because I mean, you know, I love talking about that sort of stuff and Daniel sort of embodies that in the show. So, and this scene in particular, like I said, this mixed with the the one that happens later, this just furthers a lot of the sci-fi stuff on the show. I think the first half was, um, very realistic, if you will. There was some, there was some sci-fi stuff. There was some. Uh, supernatural type stuff but the first you know three seasons I'd say were more realistic and then seasons four five and six you definitely get into a lot more of the supernatural the religion the sci-fi stuff which is what I tend to like in programming yeah I mean I I enjoyed the I would say I enjoyed the religious aspects I enjoyed some of the sci-fi um you could speak with tyranny she'll um advocate for this but I am terrible when it comes to time travel Uh, It just is very hard to wrap my head around with the different timelines and things like that. So I always have trouble when shows introduce time travel. Um, But I did enjoy the later seasons as well. At the barracks, Saeed, Kate, and Miles try to be stealth in the bushes. It looks like there was a struggle as a bunch of furniture and everything is thrown around uh, the grounds. They decide to look for Locke's group. As they do, they hear sounds coming from inside one of the homes. They cock their guns and open the door. Finding a set of doors tied shut, they open them, revealing Hurley with a gag in his mouth, claiming that they left him. And, I mean, yeah, okay, you're not a Hurley fan, I get it. I think that's a hilarious moment, though, when they open the door and he's just like, they left me! Yeah, yeah. I'd leave him behind, too, so... (laughs) (laughs) See, now this has to be, and I, I think it stayed in the episode uh the last time you were on when talking uh especially with with andrew who's not a kate he's not a kate fan either and you had said like you know and i whatever i don't remember the episode it was but you were even saying like in that episode you liked certain things with the kate character and like you said like you could appreciate you know maybe kate whatever she was doing was not good but you could appreciate evangeline Lilly's acting and he was just like no but you've met no, you didn't meet him, did you? I didn't because I honestly had zero interest in doing so. <laughs> I forgot about that. I'm sorry. I was going to go on a whole thing, but I just remembered that mid-sentence. You didn't get to- Oh, I'm sorry. Now That's I'm embarrassed. Okay. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Everyone else met him. I just, I, I literally just had zero interest. Um, and like I said, like Evangeline Lilly's acting, and especially because that was one of her first projects, really uh, big time acting. She's phenomenal. I mean, she's absolutely phenomenal. And Hurley just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to agree with you on that, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to like 
fight you on it either. That's just that's my opinion. That's all. I I will bet though there are going to be some people who I'm going to get messages going. I need to be on an episode with Lisa. We need to talk about this Hurley thing. <laughs> oh God, I know. I'm like setting myself up right now. Moments later, Hurley tells how Locke has gone crazy. He took a woman hostage. He said Walt appeared to him in a vision, and he and uh, Hurley just wants to talk things out. Miles tries to get him to the point. And he calls him Tubby. And I just love the fact that he says, oh, great. The boat sent us another Sawyer, <laughs> yeah, which like is that. funny because Sawyer and Miles end up becoming rather friendly uh, in season five. Like they become, you know, uh, Miles sort of becomes Sawyer's right hand man. Yeah, they both have that dry kind of, you know, witty humor. So I'm not surprised by that at all. Yeah. He also says how they didn't tell him where they were going when they tied him up. But they did say they were going to go to Ben's house before they left. But for all he knows, Ben could be locked up in a closet there as well. Back at the helicopter, Jack asks Frank's Frank's Jack asks Frank if the Red Sox really won the World Series. And this moment has been talked about. Uh, I had Kevin on because he's. Uh, He's not necessarily a big Red Sox fan, but he he's like, you know, oh, the Patriots. So the Red Sox kind of go hand in hand with that. And uh, now as a New Yorker, what do you think about the fact that they keep referencing this and making jokes about it, especially because Frank brushes it off when he says something about being from the Bronx that he's just like, oh, don't even remind me. So I'm sorry to disappoint you if you thought this would be a big discussion, but I am like not a sports fan at all. So it literally has no effect on me. Okay. I just, I'm not a sports fan either. Um, but I, I do, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm aware of that rivalry. And I remember being in middle school, early high school when that happened. Well, no, 2004 would have been like, yeah, late middle school ish. And I remember when that happened and I remember it was like a huge, huge thing. So I'm like, I'm aware of it, but I'm not whatever. The thing that interests me about this is, um, when Frank says something along the lines of like, oh, don't even don't get me started or don't remind me or something like that. I remember reading a theory how people thought that Frank was a time traveler and it's it's really dumb. But I just was like, oh, OK, like that's interesting. I don't believe it at all. But there was this whole thing about like, oh, maybe Frank is a time traveler and he's like doubly upset because right around this time uh, in real life. In 2008, um, the the Red Sox, I believe, had just won the World Series again, or they were coming close. I think, you know, I think they had won the World Series again by that point. And I may have talked about this on the show in the past, but people were just like, oh, the reason Frank is super upset is because he's actually a time traveler and he knows that they that they won twice. And I'm just like, really? Like, you know, OK, yeah, somebody made up that theory. It's it's interesting that somebody has that much time to think about it. But like, I, I'm not going to believe that at all. <laughs> I mean, I think what I like about Frank uh, is that he's kind of just a normal guy. It's like kind of like how did he even end up here type of thing. And I like that about him. I, I feel like if you add in any type of other supernatural type of thing, it kind of ruins who the character is. I would definitely agree. And that's one of the things that I like about um, later on when he's talk. Is he talking with Ben, I think, um, in a future episode? 
uh, or I don't now now that I say it, I don't remember who he's talking to. But it, somebody says something to him when he says like, "Oh yeah, I was supposed to be flying Oceanic eight fifteen that day," and I guess it's a good thing. And somebody's like, "Is it really? Because the island got you in the end. Like you did, you know, you ended up here anyway." And he just kind of has this look where, like you said, like he's a regular guy. And so the fact that even this sort of supernatural, like uh, final destination type thing is said to him, like, I feel like it just hits him where he's just like, what? Like, I didn't even think of it from that aspect. Yeah, I think, you know, I wonder if if his story arc, like what it would have been if he was flying the plane. You know, what, what would his arc have been throughout the show? Oh, you think he would have survived? You think he he would have survived unlike the original captain? Maybe because, you know, he does end up coming to the island. He doesn't die on the island, right? It's possible, yeah. So I wonder what it would have been like if he was there in the beginning versus coming, you know, kind of towards the middle there. Interesting. A noise is then heard as Daniel looks to the sky. He mentions how the payload is finally there. It lands on the ground with Daniel running towards it. He unscrews it into two halves. The object inside, which he looks intensely at, upsets him. He goes to the science equipment, takes the timepiece from it. This one reads 24503, while the other reads 31622. Of course, 16 being one of the numbers, 316 making an appearance next season. Daniel then comments how this is a difference of 31 minutes and that this is not good. And Frank comments to Jack how his friends are back. Juliet and Desmond then arrive, and Desmond is so happy to see the helicopter, and Lisa is so happy to see Desmond. Yes! (laughs) I know it's such a little minuscule moment in the series, but I love seeing Juliet and Des together because that's my favorite woman and my favorite guy in the series so i just love that shot of them both smiling really big and walking back up to uh to jack i absolutely love that shot (laughs) back at the barracks saeed kate miles and hurley all enter ben's house looking for clues to where Locke's group went it's mostly cleaned out except for some books saeed notices how uh, on the floor near the bookcase, there are markings on the ground revealing that the bookcase has been moved often. He checks behind and finds a secret room. There's clothing, a desk, drawers with numerous forms of currency, fake passports, etc. The one passport that he looks at actually has Ben's picture inside. And Ben is one of my favorite characters. And this is the sort of thing that just made me like even more want to know like what who is this guy? What is his deal? You know, cause this, this kind of plays off of the thing that Juliet said. And we talked about earlier where it's like, Oh, does he have any connections off Island? And she's, whether she was being truthful or not, she said she didn't know. And like this right here is like, Oh, he definitely has connections off Island, even not taking into account the middle East bioscience thing and how Juliet got there. Like this is like, yeah, he definitely does. And it made me want to know so much more about him. I was just like, you know, it's no surprise. If anyone has a secret room in their house, it would be Ben. (laughs) (laughs) And see, what I find interesting is I'll I'll tend to watch something like that and I'll look. And like even there's a – because there's even a more secret room inside that room as we find out later on this season where he can uh, summon the monster or whatever he says. And uh, to me, my immediate thought is – did the Dharma Initiative people have all of this? 
Like, did they, like, what did they use this secret room for? Did they have the even more secret, like, did Horace have this house or somebody and have the even more secret room, you know, where there, that's what, you know, they can summon the monster or whatever. And the secondary question being, I mean, yeah, technically Ben's the leader, but we know that Richard, I think, is really, you know, because Richard is sort of Ben's boss in a way. And so why didn't Richard get this house with the seat, you know, the even more secret room uh, over Ben? That's a good question. Like who had the house before Ben, who was the keeper of that, uh, of that type of, you know, responsibility basically. Yeah. Elsewhere in the house, Kate is still looking and sees Sawyer enter. He gestures for her to be quiet, but she yells for Saeed. And I just wonder if this is the type of moment where you and Wayne would say Kate fail or not, or would this not be considered a Kate fail? Because it sort of is, but it sort of isn't. I just, she just never listens. (laughs) I would, I want to know what to say if it's a fail or not, but it just proved that she just never listens. See, no, I, I would, I would argue that this is a moment where she shouldn't have listened, though, right? Because like they're looking for these people, and she should have alerted Saeed, like, hey, you know, one of the people that we're looking for is here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Sawyer's always trying to protect her, and I think she knew that as well. So him saying for her to be quiet, I don't think it had anything to do with, um you know, getting Saeed in trouble, whatever it is. He was only concerned about her. And I think he just wanted her to stay quiet just so, do you know what I mean? So she wouldn't get into any trouble. Yeah. As you're saying that though, I'm wondering like, yeah, I I think that he, you know, you're right. I don't think he would, he would want her to get hurt in any way, but I'm wondering if, because like Ben says it later that, you know, he, he wagered with Locke that they wouldn't or that Saeed wouldn't fall for Hurley as bait. But I wonder if Locke also thought, you know, um, just like, you know, we talked about earlier where Kate is just going to not listen and she's going to go off and do her own thing. I wonder if they took that into account when making this whole plan of like, oh, so, you know, Sawyer, you go in and tell her to be quiet. And Sawyer is like, oh, she's not going to listen to that. And he's just like, I know that's part of the plan. She never listens. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> that would be me if I was making a plan. <laughs> Saeed puts the passports back and exits the room, but when he does, Locke is holding a gun on him, complimenting Hurley on being good bait, and Hurley apologizes. A bit later, Danielle has a rifle to Saeed's back, taking him across the barracks, telling him that it's nothing personal. He asks about Locke, and Hurley, who's back a little bit, mentions how he's off questioning Miles. Hurley is clearly afraid, and Saeed tells him he has nothing to fear. He isn't angry at him. And Hurley mentions seeing that, quote, breakdancing thing, unquote, where Saeed snapped the neck of an other, and he's still afraid. I love that moment. That's what I mean. I like the Hurley character. I'm not, you know, we won't we won't debate this anymore. But I do love that that particular line where he says, you know, uh you know, that breakdancing thing. Mm-hmm. I love that because that's one of, again, me and Tyranny's favorite moments in the series. I remember specifically watching that and we were both like, ooh, like we both got turned on immediately <laughs> when that happens because it was just amazing. Um, so, yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that reference. I love it. I love being reminded of that. 
they lead Saeed to his new holding area, which also houses Ben. And Ben mentions, uh, as I said, that uh, he bet Locke that Saeed wouldn't be stupid enough to fall for Hurley as bait. Saeed asks what Ben knows about friendship, and Ben comments, quote, I know it's no use having friends you can't trust, unquote. And I really like that line. What do you like about that line? It's true. Like you can, you know, you can, and it's one of the reasons for a long time, and this is, I don't think I've ever talked with like any of you guys about this for a long time in high school. And for a few years after I was out of high school, whatever, I would very rarely use the term friends when talking about people that I associated with, I would call them, um, I'd call them associates or what's the other word. Um, it begins with a C. Um, I can't remember the word now. Um, cohort? No, no, I can't remember what it was. It's like, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't a C. It's acquaintances. That was it. I was just thinking. Oh, about I was gonna say that. Yeah, uh, acquaintances. I would, I would often say that because, like, I just, I felt like, and it wasn't even because of this. Like, it's just in retrospect. I'm thinking maybe it did have a deeper meaning that I didn't even realize. Um, but I just, I felt like a lot like I didn't have friends I didn't have people that I could talk with I had one or two people who I did consider friends because you know if I if I needed something or if they needed something from me and they were people that I could just have like a genuine conversation with but I felt like most people were sort of just passing through or sort of the the modern day millennial feeling on friendship I was watching a video not too long ago where this guy commented how a lot of millennials don't or they, they understand how friendship doesn't mean what it used to. Like if you and I make plans and then I say or you say, oh, I'm sorry. Basically, I'm sorry. Something better came along. We're not necessarily going to be upset at the other person because that's how millennials tend to think of friendships. I'm only uh, related to this person or I'm only associated with this person until something better comes along. And I kind of felt like for a long time that was my life. And that was why I didn't necessarily call a lot of people my friends because I just felt like I was just there until something better came along. And I, I think now I use the term friend more casually than I did. I use it almost like everybody else would where it's like, oh, I know that person. They're my friend. But I think when I'm talk when I when I'm truly talking about friends and like when I call like you guys my friends like I know if something like if something was wrong like if I if I messaged you like you would you would get back to me you would I think I feel like you would legitimately care if I was like hey I need to talk with you about something or I have something on my mind you know can you can you talk with me I feel like you would legitimately care because I consider us friends Oh yeah of course and so, but I think that, that that line that he says is right, where it's no use having friends that you can't trust. And maybe it was a matter of I didn't trust those people or I felt those people didn't trust me. But it sort of, I, I feel like a lot of people should take that to heart, where it's like if there are people in your life who you don't necessarily trust or who, you know, if you can't trust them or they can't trust you, it's not. It's okay to still associate with them, but they're not your friends. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think in I think in reference to the show when he says that line, you know, he still knows more about all of them than they know about each other. 
And I think he's also kind of referencing that. Like, you guys still don't know everything about one another. Absolutely. Yeah, because he has so much more information on all of them because, you know, Mikhail got all those files on them. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, we got really deep there for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Back at the home, Kate and Sawyer are together in a room she comments how he's or she's his prisoner. He tries turning this into a flirting situation, but she's having none of it. She asks why he's with Locke and he claims that he isn't with Locke, but she assures him that he is. When asked why she's with Jack, she comments that she believes Jack can get them off the island, but he tells Kate that he isn't looking to leave because there's nothing back in the real world for him. He then asks why she even wants to go back. She's a fugitive. If she went back, they'd probably be waiting for her. But here, they have food, houses, showers, electricity, etc. And she asks how long they can play house, and he offers her the chance to find out. I really agree with that scene. Like, I agree with Sawyer because it's really true. Like, what... You know, not to sound depressing, but like, you know, you're on the island there. You got... Like you said, you got free housing free electricity, free water. You get to focus on what really matters, which is friendships, relationships, hobbies, whatever it is, because the noise of everyday life that constantly distracts us, like, you know, meaningless jobs and education and things like that isn't there. You really get to focus on what matters in life if you were to stay on the island because you have all these all these things you don't have to worry about. And so I completely agree with him. I 100% agree, not only because basically that's how we all were when we were on that island. Yeah. (laughs) um, But also because, like, this is not the first time that the two of them have had this discussion. Uh, At the end of season one, when she was trying to get the spot on the raft, and, you know, he said to her, like, you know, she she took uh, Joanna's passport or whatever, and, you know somebody I may have even been him you know it was said to her like what are you gonna do when you know we get to wherever we're going like if they found rescue she would have to to hide herself you know like what because okay so going and even you know and we know that it happened because we know you know in a few episodes we're gonna see her her storyline um but yeah and it kind of makes me think like in in the series finale when they when they got you know if if we want to believe that the that the plane that they took landed it's like okay um her record is clean but like how do they explain who who sawyer is and you know all this other stuff because like everybody thought that they were dead because of the oceanic sixes storyline but i guess we're not supposed to think about that but yeah it's just a matter of like she's wanted and this is not the first time they've discussed this what does she have that she wants to get back to and i think it's just a matter of she always needs to run and on an island you can't run but realistically a continent north america is just a big island you can only get so far you can go to other places and she can go to other places i mean you know following the right bearing and all that she could go to other places in the world but they have everything they need just like you said like he said they have everything they need right there. I, I don't I don't get it from Kate's perspective. But I completely agree with you. She she's so comfortable with being on the run that I think the idea of even settling down is terrifying to her. That she would rather continue that lifestyle being on the run. Even after a hundred days, she still doesn't feel comfortable just staying in one place. 
Right. It just, ugh. And even if, even if she didn't play house with him, you know, just like she could, she could have her own house. She could go live back on the beach. Like she doesn't, you know, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> elsewhere with Saeed, uh, Locke and Ben, uh, Locke enters and offers some iced tea. Ben mentions how he's thirsty, but he's ignored. Locke then apologizes to Saeed for the setup, but he didn't know who all was coming. Saeed asks about Miles and Kate, and he's told Kate is with Sawyer and Miles is somewhere else. And I, I do love this next part. Uh, I wrote, they both comment how neither of them had luck getting information out of the freighter folk that they captured. And I just, I, I think that's really funny how even though Saeed is his prisoner in this moment, they're just both talking like, you know, do you have any luck? No. How about you? No, not really. Like, <laughs> you know, they just both have this thing of like, yeah, clearly we're not, we're not going to break these people. Uh, no matter what, who, no matter who they landed with, whether it be Locke's group or Jack's group, it's like, they're, they're not budging. And I think it also shows that again, Saeed's not picking sides. I think he has tremendous respect for Locke. I think both of them are survivors in their own right. And they relate to one another with that. And I think that's why they could have that type of, you know, polite conversation instead of being at each other's throats like Jack and Locke are all the time. 100%. Saeed uses this to transition into asking for Charlotte. He comments how the freighter folk are clearly liars and they are not there to save them, but he wants more answers. And that goes along with what you were saying. He didn't pick sides because if he had picked a side, he... In theory, he would have picked locks because he's like, okay, they're not here, but he wants more answers. He goes with the intelligent choice. He believes getting to their ship will help him get these answers. But Locke mm-hmm. comments how uh, he can save Saeed the trouble of all of this because Ben already has someone on the boat. Saeed then turns his attention to Ben, but Ben says that it's remaining a secret. Saeed says he doesn't trust Ben, and the day he does is the day he's lost his soul. And because I know Kevin will listen to this, and it's because it's become a recurring thing, I'm going to say foreshadowing. <laughs> foreshadowing to, like, the worst storyline in the entire series, but, you know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I think so. I think they... I think they just lost their lost track with with Saeed's character and that storyline. Oh God, it was just terrible. I think it makes sense because as much as we're talking about how Saeed is intelligent, he has his emotional side, and Ben manipulated and exploited that, as we find out later. And because that's what Ben does, and it shows that no matter who it is, no matter how you know, intelligent and together they are, everyone has their weakness. And for like Ben even tries later in the season, Ben tries playing it off as, you know, his daughter isn't his weakness, but it is when he comes face to face with Kimi, you know, he goes right after him because that, that destroyed him, you know? And when he even says to Widmore about the daughter and, you know, I'm going to go after your daughter, like clearly that was his weakness. He tried to play it off, but he didn't. And Ben found Saeed's weakness and exploited it. And I think he got too wrapped up in it as we find out, you know, in the the final exchange of this episode, I think uh, Saeed got too wrapped up in it, but I think it just shows how everyone has, everyone has that susceptibility, I guess. Yeah, I like that. You're right. Thank you. Tends to happen. (laughs) 
he once again asks for Charlotte, uh, Saeed does, and he says a war is coming and that they'll be powerless to stop it. Locke mentions giving up Charlotte for nothing, uh, but Saeed claims that this is not the case. In a flash forward, Elsa and Saeed are in bed together. They have some back and forth about getting up and potentially going to work, and she comments how he never talks about his job, and he says there's nothing to say. She then tells him how she feels she doesn't know much about him at all, even life after the crash. Who is he now? Uh, People who are in love are supposed to talk about such things. He asks her about being in love, and they kiss. He then tells her that he'll answer her questions, and this, of course, is when her pager beeps. She mentions that she has to go meet the boss, and as she's running around and gathering her things, he has a moment of clarity. He tells her that she has to leave Berlin because soon people will be asking questions about what happened to her employer. She's confused and begins putting things together in her mind. She realizes that he's been running a con on her this whole time. He used her to get to her boss. She asks if he's going to kill her boss, and she runs to the bathroom. He mentions her boss being on a list from his employer, who he says doesn't matter. They have a back and forth about killing people, who her boss really is, etc. And she turns and draws a gun on Saeed, shooting him in the shoulder. This was just really predictable. (laughs) And I'm not one that usually predicts things. I'm usually pretty terrible at that. Um, But this was extremely predictable. I felt like all of a sudden I was watching, um, what's that Brad Pitt movie? Um, Mr. and Uh, Mrs. Smith. Yeah, yeah. That's what I felt like it, this sort of turned into, it turned into a spy, like a James Bond type thing all of a sudden. Yeah, this is very predictable. Yeah. He is shocked. We are not. Uh, (laughs) she calls someone and speaks in German she mentions how the call was supposed to come later she didn't kill Saeed uh, but now he won't talk she begins to walk away and she mentions how Saeed had no idea uh, that she knew and that she will bring him in he then throws something trying to distract her and he pulls out a gun on her she starts to say something but he shoots her twice She falls and soon dies, and he cries over this. He notices a bracelet on her arm similar to the one Naomi has in the present day on the island. And the fact that he didn't hesitate to shoot her, that, I think, is the only thing that did surprise me about this whole scene. Is like, I thought that he would have, like, you know, been like, oh, you know, why don't you explain yourself? But he was just like, he was so ruthless and so caught up in what his mission is that he was just like, I don't even care, you know? Yeah. But, and I think he usually gets kind of caught up in his work. It's similar to the, you know, when he was a torturer, there's not really time to think because if you do, you, you just become fraught with shame and and just, you you know, what you're doing is wrong. And I think it's the same in this instance that he didn't think about it because it was too painful. He just had to act. I would agree. And as you said that, I was thinking back of like other other instances where like when he was uh, even when when they were looking when they thought Ben was Henry Gale and, you know, Ana Lucia has to sort of convince him, like, let's take the time, you know, I'll back your play. But like, you know, we need to be sure, you know, let's dig up the grave, like all this stuff, because he's just so sure of like he 
wants to get the like the mission is is the important thing so actually now that you say that it does make sense yeah Mm -hmm. and also he was right about that too just throwing that out there you're absolutely right (laughs) um Back on the island, Dan is at his equipment as Desmond is questioning Frank on the picture of himself and Penny. Frank tells him how Naomi didn't report to him. She was senior management. She was kind of in charge on the ship. Desmond says how he was told they were there for him, and he wants the truth if they've ever heard of Penelope Widmore. Frank and Daniel exchange glances and look away. Desmond realizes this and decides that when the helicopter leaves, he's going to be on it. He needs some answers. And in retrospect, I love this moment because Daniel potential. I mean, in the flash sideways, we know for sure that he knows who Penny is. I can't remember offhand if there's ever been confirmation that in like regular life, he had any idea because he had, you know, memory problems and stuff. I don't know if there was ever any talk if he knew who, uh, who Penny actually was like in terms of being his sister. Yeah, that I'm not sure to me. I'm the, I'm the wrong person to ask that I haven't done a rewatch in a very long time. Um, ask uh, your friend Jake. (laughs) I'm just, I'm I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there. Like now that I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm talking out loud, but I'm just kind of thinking about it now. I'm just like, I don't know if it was ever, if it was ever brought like to the forefront that he actually knew. And maybe he did know, but maybe it was just like his memory problems or something. Cause he even mentions at one point to, um, Eloise about, uh, he says something about a man named Charles Widmore. And, you know, when she's talks with him about that, she kind of says like, Oh, this man, Mr. Widmore or something. So it doesn't seem like it was ever known to him that Widmore's his father and that, you know, he has a sister and all this other stuff. Yeah. But it is ironic that Desmond just so happens to be as constant with that connection as well. Yes. Um, Saeed then comes strolling back with Charlotte behind him. Jack notices that Kate is not with them, Saeed telling him that she decided to stay. He also says how he traded Miles for Charlotte. He promised Frank Charlotte, and she is there now. Frank jokes that luckily, Miles was a pain in his ass anyway. (laughs) Uh, Daniel approaches Charlotte, and they exchange pleasantries, and I think you could kind of see the beginnings of daniel's you know like puppy love for her here like yeah yeah. um frank begins loading up telling them that they have room for one more daniel refuses the spot deciding to stay with charlotte he does however tell frank to follow the exact same bearing they used when coming in no matter what jack gives saeed a gun telling him to be careful and saeed jokingly mentions uh, needing to talk Jack out of coming, but Jack concedes that Saeed has it under control. And I'm just like, yeah, that's right, Jack. You take a back seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Saeed asks Frank if there is still room for one more, indicating that he'd like to bring Naomi's body. Frank nods and they gather everything up. Desmond, Frank, Saeed, and Naomi's corpse are in the helicopter taking off. In a final flash forward, we're in what appears to be a vet's office. Saeed enters being told to take his shirt off by the man he spoke on the phone with earlier he's still injured from the shot to his shoulder the man asks if elsa is dead and saeed Saeed confirms that she is he tells the man 
that she wanted information about him, the employer. The man reveals himself to be Benjamin Linus and comments that of course this is what she wanted. He then asks why Saeed is crying. Is it due to physical pain or emotional pain? And he reminds Saeed that these people do not deserve sympathy, also reminding him of the last time he thought with his heart instead of his gun. Saeed comments how that was how Ben recruited him to kill for him. And Ben says that Saeed is saving his friends uh, and he has another name on the list. Saeed is confused, saying that they know that he's after them now, and Ben simply replies, good. (laughs) So a couple things with some of the stuff he said. I was confused by, you know, Saeed's, I guess, empathy towards Naomi. I understand that she had a similar bracelet to Elsa or whatever, but it just seems like it's a far reach with the connection they try to make between what was going on on the island and his flash forward. Um... I would think, well, okay, there's one, the possibility that he knows that weird things happen on the island. Um, I don't remember offhand how aware he is of the fact that, you know, like dead people come back to life every so often on the island or whatever. So that could be it, but it could be a matter of like, like his friend, um, that died in Australia or that, well, he killed himself in Australia and he chose to stay behind because the man, you know, he felt that, uh, in, in going along with their religion that, you know, they need, the man needed to be buried. And even at the beginning of the series, when they're talking about burning the fuselage, he says that they're not going to give any, um, consideration for people's wishes or religion or whatever. And so I feel like Saeed has sort of always been that person who, you know, like when he, I think, I think he even says the line, um, you know, she let's take her home or she deserves to go home or something. So like, let someone else make the decision of what remains. Like, let's not, let's not just leave this corpse here. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's more of like a religion type thing, you think? I think it's more of a religion. I think it's a compassion thing as well. Maybe not even just religion, but more of just like, a, you know, like in uh, it could even be now that I'm thinking about it, it could even be like as a soldier in battle, you know, if somebody dies, you tend to just leave them there. And, you know, whatever happens to those bodies is whatever happens to those bodies. And so maybe he's even thinking from that standpoint where it's just a matter of like, I can do something about this. This body doesn't have to just be left here. Like let's, uh-huh. let's let someone else make the decision. Do they want to, you know, just, you know, buried at sea or cremated or, you know, buried or, or whatever. Like let's, let's let there actually be something decided. Let's not just leave the corpse here. I, I think that's a, that's a great, great insight into that. Just made that up off the top of my head. <laughs> Very good. And then the other question I had, because again, I haven't done a rewatch in a very long time, plus my memory is shit. Who was Elsa working for? Was it Widmore? I I don't know if it was necessarily Widmore in particular, but I think that she was maybe working for someone who was working for Widmore. I don't know if Widmore is the economist or if it's like, you know, she works for someone who works or, you know, the, if, if the economist works for Widmore. But yes, that's that's what I think. It's never revealed in future episodes. 
I don't think so. Give me, I have the Lostpedia article here. Give me <laughs> one moment. Because I couldn't remember. I was like, what is, you know, the whole episode is called The Economist, but we actually don't, aren't told who The Economist truly is. Okay, so according to Lostpedia, which has, there's The Economist, the episode, but then there is a thing at the top where it's, you know, oh, this is not to be confused with Economist character, which says The Economist was an associate of Charles Widmore who employed Elsa to get information about Ben from Saeed. He was on a list of people for Saeed to kill for Ben because they, quote, posed a threat, unquote, to the Oceanic Six. Elsa claimed that he worked in emerging markets, but according to Saeed, he was not truly an economist. Elsa said that she was very old fashioned or that he was very old fashioned in his business, as evidenced by his use of a pager. She explained that he was an innocent man, but it became clear that he was not, as he hired Elsa to spy on Saeed. The economist Peter Avellino and Ivan uh the the economist Peter Avellino and Ivan something, I can't pronounce it, were on Ben's list of targets for Saeed. Upon killing the other person whose name I can't pronounce, Saeed was told by Ben that he had successfully completed his mission to kill everyone on the list. Therefore, The Economist is presumably dead. And that's from the episode He's Our You in Season 5. So, according to Lostpedia, The Economist is not Widmore, he's just someone who works with Widmore. So again, it's interesting that the title of the episode is someone who isn't even a major character. I mean, it's somebody who who potentially we never even get to meet. Right. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. That's that's one of the things. I mean, it, just in terms of television and Lost has it, but just in terms of television a lot, episode titles are weird. Like um, I was not. And I've talked about it many times, not a big Breaking Bad fan. But one of the things that I liked in one of those seasons, they had there was like four or five episodes where the title was just two letters. And they the, those specific episodes played upon a recurring theme throughout the, the season that by the end of the season, it made sense. And then if you went back and put those letters together, it kind of spelled out the, the thing that was happening. So that, that uh-huh. pink bear or whatever. Um, and there was even in the one season of Sons of Anarchy, the opening, the one season, the first episode was titled S.O. because um, there was the, the character had two rings. One had the letters S.O. and the other had the letters N.S. And yeah. in the first episode of that season, he takes off the ring S.O. and puts it on uh, someone's grave. And then it's also supposed to be like significant other and whatever. And then the final episode of that season, he takes off the other ring and puts it also on the grave. So it's NS. So it's sort of the SONS kind of bookend each season as well. So episode titles in terms of TV, they always have a weird thing with it. And so the fact that they named this one after, like you said, a character who we never even meet and we kind of have to infer that that the guy eventually died. That's incredibly strange. And even Lostpedia doesn't have much in terms of like unanswered questions. Cause I guess no one's ever raised the point. <laughs> yeah. I mean like certain episodes, like, like again, the constant comes up in two episodes now that's obvious, you know, and, and it's memorable because we know how important the concept of a constant is as well as the character and how important the character is. But when you have an episode like this, it's like, I feel like it's very forgettable because it's like, wait a second, who is the economist? You know what I mean? Yeah. 
yeah, as you as you pointed out, yeah, like it does. Um, and see, there's actually I'm reading a thing here on Lostpedia where it says many fans speculated that the scene in this episode on the golf course took place after the final scene with Ben, and that the man Saeed killed, Mister Avellino, was in fact the next person on the list. But the, oh. but. It says this was debunked by the producers, but it does not give a source. It specifically says source needed for the fact that it was debunked by the producers. So it's very possible that that guy was the economist, if we're going to go with that theory. Oh, I mean, I would actually kind of like that. That would add some depth to the episode. Yeah. That was otherwise very predictable. That I wouldn't have predicted. So I would, I would give them uh, props for that if it were, if it were true. Right. But that is all I have. I'm even looking here. And other than that, there's not really anything um, notable in terms of production on this episode. Oh, somebody says uh, fans noticed that the bracelet that Elsa wears bears a deliberate resemblance to Naomi's bracelet. This has been refuted by the producers. Um, But somebody, where is it? I also was reading it earlier where it says, oh, Elsa, Saeed's target, has several similarities with another woman in his life, Shannon. She is also tall and fair with light blonde hair, and she also dies from a gunshot wound to the abdomen, and both women die shortly after sleeping with Saeed. So maybe you shouldn't be so attracted to Saeed, Lisa, because, you know, we don't want anything bad to happen to you. Well, I I mean, I because I haven't seen the episode in a while, like I said, the second that the girl popped up, I was like, wow, this is obviously an ode to Shannon. Clearly, Saeed has a type. Um, so I made that connection right away. I agree. Yeah. But that is all I have for this episode. Do we have anything else? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Do you want to hit them with your social media in case they want to talk about any things? Uh, maybe go after you for your Hurley hate? <laughs> Uh, my name is Viva La Deadly on Twitter. That's the only uh, social media I have at the moment because I'm kind of on a purge of social media. Good for you. I wish I could do that, but I'm too much of an attention whore. Um, <laughs> and speaking of, you can follow Clock Shelves on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Clock Shelves. And Lisa, it was so great catching up with you. Um, I would definitely have to have you on again soon. And... Um, I will end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck. Thank you. Hey, this is Jorge. Thanks for listening to Lost with Friends.